I'm Christian Bush. And I'm Cindy Watts. Welcome to our podcast, 52. I turned 52 this year, believe it or not, and I am releasing 52 songs to celebrate. This podcast looks at the relationship between my 52 new songs and 52 of my most popular songs from my back catalog with plenty of stories and laughs along the way. We're going to need a fire pit in this room. I think that's exactly where the podcast today just started with you saying, I think we're going to need a fire pit. We're going to need a fire pit. <laughs> Can I ask a, a, a like a follow-up question? Of course. At what point did we stop calling it uh, a bonfire and started calling it a fire pit? And before that, because you and I are from East Tennessee, when was it stopped calling like a trash fire in the backyard and then became a bonfire and now it's called a fire pit? Is that just the closer we got to being marketed by Lowe's or Home Depot? No. So we could not have a bonfire in your office. However, because, you know, that's just a big old pile of crap you light on fire. But, you know, <laughs> but, you know, one of those, and we wouldn't have a cigar office either, but, you know, one of those cute little buckets that you put stuff in. and you A know, cute little bucket that you put. And light on fire. The internet has been marketing to you, hasn't it? Did well, you get that in the last Christmas season that there was like a. A cute little bucket? A, a sterno that used to heat the the little like while you're walking through the line at the church and the little sterno heat that keeps the sausage balls warm. Well, you know, no, 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 you know, you know, the, the umbrella. And now we're calling it a fire pit indoors. I like it. But you know, the, the, the umbrella that, that rains heat, they've got that thing, you know, I just saw one the other night. I saw one in, in, in several in London, people stand under them in freaking August and drink when it's like 60 degrees outside. But, um, but also I lost my train of thought. No, no. I just, I love it. I love that you were like, Hey, we're going to need a, we're going to need, need a fire pit. We're going to need a fire pit. You know, you know how I'm going to answer that? I'm going to read you. I remember jokes. what I was going to say. You asked about Christmas. I didn't get a fire pit for Christmas. You know what I did get? What'd you get? I got an electric smoker. Isn't that some kind of oxymoron? An electric smoker. Does it, do you have to spray on the smoky smell <laughs> with like a, <laughs> like a little misting? You, it, you, you, you plug it Missed in. Missed the barbecue you know, darkness. It's, it's, it's funny. Yeah, no, you plug oh, it in. Oh, I'm, you know what? I'm going to roll a dad joke right on top of that. All right. Let me have it. You think gas and electric prices are expensive. <sighs> have you seen chimneys? They're through the roof. <laughs> so, so I didn't know that you're going to tell that joke. Was that already pulled up when I said the thing about the electric yes. smoker? Oh my goodness gracious. I was like, I got my jokes for it. This is going to make her laugh. That's funny. <laughs> hey, what has five toes and isn't your foot? What's that? My foot. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Then. You know what? It's because it's making you laugh. You get four today instead of the normal three. Okay. What happens when frogs park illegally? I, I don't know. They get towed. Oh, my Lord. See, I was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking, hop, ribbit. Where is this going? Toad. Okay. Yeah, it's right under your forehead. Um, my daughter said uh, to me, you really have no sense of direction, do you? And I said, where did that come from? <laughs> I really have no sense of direction <laughs> at all. Are you one of those? Oh, it's terrible. You proudly walk out of the out of Skechers in the mall and turn left and go, there's the car. And it's to your right. 
Well, I mean, how many, <laughs> how many times have I been to your house now? I still have to have the GPS every stinking time. Well, that's because I live in a secret like place like, like Harry Potter. Well, this is true, but still, you know. It's not cool unless I live in a secret place. I was told that that's one of the rock star rules. One of the, one of the rules is you have to be wearing something you cannot buy at the mall. I see. At all times. That, that is your first rock star requirement. Second is where you live uh, must be somewhat secret. I see. So what are you wearing right now? That but you, you can't buy at can't the buy mall. At a mall. Well, you can't buy these glasses at a mall. You can't buy those shoes at a mall. You certainly can't buy either of these bracelets on my wrist at the wall at the mall. Um, so, what kind of shoes are these? Uh, these are some pretty special shoes. Here, we're going to talk about because you know he's I, taking the shoes off. I, I am. So, um, these are while you see that you can buy vent tennis shoes at the mall. So this is a little like bougie. It's a step up from the Aldo bougie. But it's the it's the Vince tennis shoes that look like Stan Smith's, except the actual toe, right where you see it, mm-hmm. suede. I see. So you bought pettable sneakers. <laughs> yes, you may pet my sneakers. <laughs> God, that sounds almost illegal in some countries. <laughs> it probably is. <laughs> okay, uh, today's songs. Um, this is going to be. And this is really funny. This is a, we're talking about fashion because the the note that I put between beside these songs is my nineties are showing. Right. As if I bent down to pick up something off the ground that I had dropped, and suddenly, instead of my plumber, but you, my nineties are showing. That was the that was the idea. Um, and what it means in my mind and my heart is that. No matter how hard I try, and this is what's happening on this whole album, this whole version of 52 called New Blue, is that no matter how many times I try to repaint it or hide it or cover it up with my other shirt, <laughs> it's still the 90s in my rock and roll self. Of course it is. This is one of the things that I, I have really enjoyed in the past three or four years, especially over COVID as Andrew and I reconnected, uh, Andrew Hyra and Billy Pilgrim. Right. And, uh, therefore the conversation has been, Oh, I was in a band before Sugarland, And so there's a whole lot of like the runway that used to be a certain length, you know, is even longer <laughs> because you're, you're looking backward in time and going, wait a minute, he was doing what, when we thought Darius was the guy who came from the nineties. <laughs> right and it turns out that like i was right there too you were right there too so uh this first song i wrote with uh the wonderful writer jeff cohen and um wonderful artist writer uh singer extraordinaire um chris Barron from the spin doctors yes do we remember the spin doctors i remember the spin Doctors. how old now i'm 52 and you're younger than me i am so that means in 1992 or 1993, how old were you? I'm really bad at math. 13? 14? Ah, so you were like in prime spin doctors. Wow. But also in severe But you were a country fan. I was. Am. Yes. But this would have been a high school thing. Did anybody in your high school like wear flannel? and? Well, yeah, we all wore flannel because it was the 90s in Sevier County. But, but no, I, I remember, um, 
my trombone section leader. Oh, yeah. Here we go. My freshman year in high school uh-huh. loved the spin doctors. That was the first time I heard their name from Emily Piney. Ooh, Emily Piney. Emily Piney. And she yes. led, and how, why did she, was, why was she the leader of the trombone section? Because she. She was the best? She was the best. And was she, she looked was like she Pippi Long, She looked like Pippi Longstockings. No, she wasn't me. She, she was had lovely. little pigtails and everything? She, um, only on Halloween. But she had bright red hair and freckles and. Did you associate her forever as Little Miss Can't Be Wrong? No. <laughs> she lives in like the Pacific Northwest now and. I think goes to the beach and plays banjo or something like that. Amazing. So yes. while you were in trombone section, I was in New York on my first record deal. Oh my God. And, <laughs> and I graduated college and I, this is all I ever wanted to do, even though the world of my lineage had me running a cannery. Right. But this big old idea, no one, no one thought would work. And as I was getting to the end of my senior year in college, um, I got the, my a phone call from my father saying, Hey, is what is it that you want for your graduation? You, it seems like your car's in pretty good shape. I don't, I don't know what to get you, but I want to celebrate that you made it through college. And I said, you know what, dad, look, how about this? Because he was on me the whole time. Like mom's rule was, I don't care what you are when you grow up but you're going to be a college educated one of those. Yeah. Right. So that was a very East Tennessee thing to be like, mm-hmm. if you get that far, I'm out. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I got you further than I, I went. And in dad's case, he, the whole time was one of these dads. that was like, I'm just not going to do it, man. I, that's a low probability of success on that music thing. So why don't you go learn something else? Like go, go be good at something else. And I kept acting like I was doing that. But at the whole time I was writing to record companies from college and asking them if they would give me a record deal. And I have, what did he think you were doing? I don't know. But well, I, I, I applied to law school. I applied to the Iowa state Railway writers workshop. That was kind of fun. Uh, so I had places to go and successful places to go after that, but it was all going to cost money. Right. And, uh, and, 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 it turned out that mom and dad weren't paying for college. The the Bush brothers' grandparents were. And I, of course I had never got that information till late. Right. Uh, and, and I'm forever grateful about that because that's not what most people get, you know, not even most people. It's like rarity that you get out without debt. But my, my option was to go into debt, going into a, a more schooling. And I kept applying for these record deals. And Holy crap, if I didn't get one. It worked. <laughs> and and it, it worked because I bothered the crap out of this one lady. And she was booking this wonderful lady named Jennifer Stark. And she was booking the uh, Lone Star Cafe or something in New York. And I was asking her for a gig for to, for Andrew and I to go up and play and send her the music and everything. And then she said, well, you just keep me in mind. Keep contacting me. She was one, you know, like the music business. It's all who you know, right? Right. And she was just booking. And then she called a number of weeks later um, because I had left her a message. Hey, call me back, blah, blah, blah. I would check in with these people every week. I was the most annoying unsigned artist on earth. 
And uh, she said, oh my God, you're not going to believe this. I just, I just got a job. I'm the very first female A&R person at all of Atlantic Records. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's great. She goes, yeah. And I was, all that was going off in my head was alarm bells. Like, <laughs> here's your shot, dude. Here's your shot. You've got to play this well. And so uh, as an idiot, I just over-talked. <laughs> I was like, that's what we all I do. Like, I was know? like, when faced with the golden chalice, I nervously started throwing up words on her. <laughs> And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> you should sign us to a record deal. And blah, blah, blah. And she, she's calmed down and stuff. She, send me more music, send me more music. And then I went back to my friend, Andrew and my friends like, oh my God, dude. There, I got a, I got a almost, not a yes, not a no, but a send me more, which is much more than the no's Correct. that had been piling up in my dorm room in college. Uh, and sure enough, um, she called me, she said, look, God, I'll never forget this. I put an offer in on a band. And if it, they don't take my offer, then I'm going to offer you guys a record deal. <sighs> and for the life of me, I was going to like Tanya Harding <laughs> the crap out of that band. I was going to go take a club. Who was it? To the knees of that band. And I will forever. And... I, I, uh, when she told me who the band was, it was just, I, you understand. She was trying to sign a band called Uncle Tupelo, mm -hmm. which ended up signing at Sire instead of Atlantic in 1992. And of course they had a run of a couple of records. They had had a, a career of a couple of records before that. And then they broke up and formed Wilco and Sunvolt. And, uh, so I, I'm forever grateful that whatever machination that their manager went through that decided that Jen Stark was not going to sign them was my favorite thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't even know him. But uh, so we got a record deal in Atlantic Records in New York. And uh, as a result, um, immediately got thrown into the world of possibility of getting on the radio and uh, of getting out of the music scene in Atlanta and into the world music scene. And what that meant was not just all of the bazillions of records that I'd studied and, and, and learned and, and tried to understand and all the liner notes I'd read and all the humans I had met. There is no, it's not like Nashville. Atlanta had nothing <laughs> right. other than other artists who were doing it with people that you don't sign. You're not signed with. <laughs> so you had no frame of reference and no one to call except your A&R person who just signed you. <laughs> so all that happened and I would go to New York and um, we had only played a couple of shows in New York and one was at the bitter end. And I got, I met a guy named Jeff Cohen the first or second trip I was up there. He worked for, uh, uh, for BMI New York. And he said, Oh man, I'll sign you up. Da, da, da. I want you to meet my friends. This is Lisa Loeb. This is uh, uh, Scott Barron. This is a, the spin doctors the, meet these guys over here. Meet these guys over. Here. I was like, Oh my gosh where are we? You know, this is amazing. So later in life I got to, uh, and fast forward. So 95, uh, like 30 years later, I guess I am sitting here in Nashville with Jeff and Chris Barron writing songs. I love it. That's wonderful. Because I don't forget my friends. Right. And 
God bless them. They don't forget me. And, uh, we sat and we wrote three songs and it was so nice to see someone who had been on that same street corner in, you know, 1992, 1993, 1994. And, and uh, of course the spin doctors went and sold a records but it was great to catch up and say, what did, what was that like for you now? Like, how, how did that change your personality? How did it, who have you become? And songs, many times when you co-write with people become the combination of what you both believe in at the same time. Right? So when you write with somebody, you could write with an utter asshole and you both believe in cheeseburgers and the song you write that day will be about cheeseburgers, you know? So, uh, we wrote this song, uh, Jeff and Chris and I about this kind of idea of we're not old, you're old. It's like the, I'm not crying. You're crying. Right. Um, and we were somewhat reminding ourselves of the wild abandon that it took to even believe that you could possibly under any circumstance do music for a living. And we, none of us thought it was even possible, even then. And I love that they rekindled that as we started to write this song. And then I got to play a show the other uh, five, six months ago, and Chris was on one of the shows. And we reconnected and talked again, and I said, hey, man, you're not going to believe this, but I'm thinking about putting out Sail into Arizona. And he's like, really? I was like, yeah. And I was like, would you be interested in singing on it with me? He's like, absolutely. I would do that in a heartbeat. So I sent it to him and he sang the crap out of it. He did. Yeah. It sounds like spin doctors now. Like his voice is the voice he had and still has. And I just, I, I couldn't be more grateful when people don't forget. I remember when, you remember when Tim McGraw, like they rallied around their buddy. Oh, was it Tracy Lawrence? Who was it that? That uh, you know what your friends are for. You find out who your friends are. You find out who your friends are. Remember that song? Mm -hmm. Was that right with all the people? Yes. And it was a bunch of guys, right? It was. It was several. And it seemed like those guys knew each other at a time. And mm -hmm. that particular artist was releasing. And they asked their friends to come in and do it. And it was about the thing that they, they believe in together. Right. I don't even know who wrote the song. But, uh, uh, but I remember it happening. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. You know? And... So I, I really, uh, I cherish that, the that, you know, you get to hear what happens when the Billy Pilgrim spin doctors slash Sugarland slash Christian Bush song happens together. Um, and I have to give props here to, uh, Tom Tapley, who was engin my engineer and producer at the time. And in Atlanta, he kept redoing this song. Even when I wasn't in the studio, I'd come in and it would sound different totally. It'd have a new guitar part over here or a new thing over there. And um, so this is a, a testament to uh, song, good songs stay written and a, a testament to um, what happens when many people use their skill on the one thing over a long time. Um, anyway, so let's, let's, let's listen to this. Let's do it. Sailing to Arizona from 52 New Blue. But they all think we're crazy when we drive by, they stare. They're thinking, oh, 
stinking fun <laughs> so stinking fun oh my goodness i think it needs to be a t-shirt i can see it in my head oh yeah yeah i think so i think so i love it i do too i just that that whole idea like every lyric of that song i enjoyed oh yeah it just feels good there's a yellow brick road in your backyard just the first step that feels so hard it don't matter if you can't hit the high note because we're all singing in the same boat. Somebody it's really, really clever wrote uh, those. Yeah. <laughs> really clever. It's probably Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just love, I, that song feels like what it's saying yeah. to me. Yeah. Now, so how much 90s did you feel off of that? Now that we're talking about it, like, am I just making that up because that's when I experienced it? Or does it have some sort of DNA in it? You know what? I'm I'm a rotten person to ask that question because in the 90s you were listening to Exile? Yes. Okay. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. I can't believe you just like plucked that well, right out of the air. Well, let me just put it this way. Uh Nirvana happened while you weren't looking. Well, no, I I knew about them, but but the the Baptist preacher in my church said if you listened to them you were going to hell. So but also, if you listen to Alabama, you were going to hell, too, because they sing about sex, and that was wrong. So, you know, I was just really trying to stay out of hell in the 90s. I don't think that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I think you were flirting with the edge. You think I was flirting with the edge? Yeah. yeah. But I, 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 for me, I've uh, um, been interviewed in very in, uh, sort of intellectual spaces to talk about 
is there a relationship between essentially what we called triple um, A rock right. of the 90s and commercial country of the 2000s? And uh, I, I'm, I'm usually invited on the programs because <laughs> I'm, I, I am those things. Because you've done it all. Well, no, it's just that I, in fact, use that science for myself, but I can't, I can't really testify as to what was happening outside me, you know, but I was using pretty solid rhythms, which is what the spin doctors were all about. Right. So Mm -hmm. here's something I didn't know. I was riding in a van with, with him and he started telling me things. So he and John Popper from Blues Traveler were in the same English class. Oh, that's great. In New York. I love it. And they both made blues bands, neither of which were supposed to be on the radio. Those are blues bands Hmm. that just happen to have a groovy beat underneath them, which helps me answer this question, which is, I think the rhythms changed underneath country music into the 2000s and 2010s. I think the rhythms are what changed. I think the song structure is based on a roots song structure, much like Spin Doctors are based on being a blues band. Right. Right? If you listen to Chris Barron's solo stuff, it's very like guitar blues, like acoustic guitar, one guy in a room blues. And um, Spin Doctors is just that really loud, <laughs> you know? And country music, to whatever degree, uh, Sugarland was roots music that I learned from the, you know, folk rock scene in Atlanta in the nineties on top. I mean, I brought the beats with me, (laughs) my beats that I was using then my, my rhythms, my, I even used the same drummer on some of these things that that were on Shirley and that were on Billy Pilgrim. So although when I listened to Darius, it's his voice that came forward, right? Maybe not the same vibes, but I think his voice dictates that so much. It does. You know what I mean? It's it like, really I does. hear Hootie and the Blowfish when I hear Darius. Yes. And that he's, but the song structure that they were using that Mark and those guys were using back in the day are very similar to the song structure that, that exists now verse chorus. You know what I mean? There's, it was still commercial, but I wonder if the people who were driving, you know, their beat up civics in the nineties were the ones driving minivans in the two thousands, you know, they were. And so the same human was just finding new, finding another place on the radio dial to hear the music they already liked. But isn't that what we all do? We chase like we, we chase what we love wherever it goes. I mean, and, and it makes sense, you know, we, there's so many conversations around hip hop and country and, and that happened because that generation was listening to hip hop and now they've, you know, blended it with country. I mean, it's the same. You just follow it. Do you call that more popular music? Contemporary. Contemporary music. You're yes. the journalist. Contemporary. Conte- con- con- is there a, no. Unfortunate. Not. Oh my God, what? Nothing. <laughs> Well, um, so uh, it was taught to me 
And I still live by the moniker that you can learn a lot about a band by listening to the songs they cover. Sure. Right. And, um, and it could be anything. If you are, uh, if you're a fan of Jimi Hendrix and suddenly he whipped out a Bob Dylan song and played all along the watchtower, you went, what? Right. Um, Probably some people just are putting that together in this moment, right? <laughs> but uh, a lot of times you play a, a contemporary cover. And what's one of the things that I learned when we were starting Sugarland was that we had moved so quickly into larger crowds. Mm-hmm. And the crowds we were aware only knew one song of ours. <laughs> so we were really going to have to play that song multiple times to please everyone or play them something they recognized. So one of the things I loved to do was, and Jennifer shares this sort of exploration joy with me is find songs that you love and cover them in a way that you own it. Yeah. You reinvent it. Right. In some sort of way you make it your own. And therefore I always argue that a song, you know, by an artist you don't know reveals the artist because you can subtract the song information already. Right. That makes sense. Um, And that's how I got to Lindsay L's you know, covering a John Mayer record. I've, I've done it with different artists, but in my own, I, I try not to ask anyone else to do something that I don't do already. Right. Right. That's, that's the joy of it. So Sugarland at some point was asked to do, um, a live record <laughs> at the time where <laughs> you're going to love this, where, uh, big box stores wanted their own version of your record. <laughs> Remember so that? Target, yes, of course. So like Target wanted the Target version and Walmart wanted the Walmart version. That's correct. And that yeah. you would have to, as a fan, you'd have to go visit Walmart to go buy that that version of the song or the record. And then you'd have to go to Target to buy. And you're, really what you're doing is asking your fan to buy your record over and over again. And it was just a way to be, uh, what did they tell us at the record company? A good partner to your retail folks. Yeah. And and it wasn't us being a good partner. It was the label being a good partner. But um we, we kind of love that idea and we had gone through the process. <laughs> this was, uh, the most impossible idea. Uh, we, we had gone through the process of how do we get more people to come to our shows? And we didn't know the answer and we were playing arenas, but we want, we, we wanted to grow at the speed that we were growing, but we didn't know quite how to do this. And there was nobody to teach us. And our manager hadn't done any of that before. Um, so we were kind of out on our own. And an idea came up where we thought, why don't we see, do you remember they used to have a, a summer concert series in the 90s or something? You would, every once in a while, you'd see like Garth Brooks at whatever, and it would be broadcast on ABC. There were a couple of shows that you would see yeah. that were like big events. Like I mm-hmm. saw, I remember seeing Shania Twain in Chicago on television, like on network television. Somehow somebody had convinced a show to happen. Right. And so we were, we started asking around is what, how do you do this? And uh, Jason Owen kind of sorted this out. He, he was the publicist at the time up there. And he was like, I think we could probably convince somebody to do like, and ABC presents, you know, on their we on their slowest week of all the whole summer, 
see if they would broadcast a show of ours. But we couldn't get anyone to pay for the capture of the show. So we took all the money we were going to make playing in an arena, and we had a 22 camera capture of one show. Oh my goodness. And we could, and that meant if you made a mistake, you couldn't go back and fix it. And you had to play the show straight through with no breaks. There's no like, oh my gosh, we got to do this for the lighting. No pressure. And it was in Kentucky. And, uh, and we did it. Sean Silver shot it and they edited it together and it was amazing. And they broadcast it on television, but they had to shrink it down to 48 minutes or 50 minutes to fit in a one hour special. But it was a two hour show. We were like, well, what are we going to do with the rest of this? So we made a video for the song love and put it on CMT out of that same stuff. Right. And then, then we decided, I guess we're going to give this to one of the big box stores. And they said, well, that's great. And, uh, but nobody buys DVDs anymore. And we were like, well, okay. And they were like, well, if you give us some live music, we'll package it together and it'll be one product. I was like, okay. <laughs> so then I was like, well, why don't we do all of our covers? We'll capture them as we go through. Cause we were recording every night, uh, the audio. And we did, and we we got this moment of being able to go through the, the songs we loved and capture a bunch. We did uh, Edie Brickell's Circle. We did uh, a bunch of stuff, and we did, we did what we're about to listen to, which is um, Pearl Jam's Better Man. And it, it sits in a time in my life where I... Grunge exploded into mm-hmm. the world really quickly, but... I think one of the reasons for me as a 20 something, not playing grunge music at all, I was playing the antithesis. I was playing like folk rock, the earnest version of what they were also getting away with. But, uh, I ended up, Andrew and I as acoustic duo ended up opening a show for the, it was us and the Melvins and Nirvana in New York. And it's how I met all of them for the first time. And, uh, it, it made sense to me in that moment when I was in it as an artist and, and got to see these people play that we are all playing the exact same music. Yeah. And, and, and you don't realize that because it gets so convoluted by the marketing. If you're not this kind of kid and you're not, if you're not emo enough or you're not grunge enough or you're not this enough or you're not that enough. And it didn't matter. This music was just speaking just like ours does. And we were pretty upset acoustic duo. Like we, we could get mad. Right. And, uh, but they were not singing mad. They were singing songs that were actually talking about an, a problem and better man is an amazing song to me. Yeah. And when you hear a female sing it, it's even more poignant because you're talking about someone who can't get out of this relationship. So, uh, this is a better man in front of a, whole bunch of people and i'm very proud to say that um uh we did get to perform this in the stadium in seattle oh very cool and there was something amazing about hearing seventy thousand people who were there to see kenny chesney sing this song back with us i bet so let's listen okay all right then i'll just keep talking while y'all switch it up. Sometimes we just switch it up here, you know what I'm saying? We've been, uh, 
We've been, every now and then, we've been slipping a new song in like a cover. And I love, because I see these two ladies down here, and one of them has on a Led Zeppelin shirt, and one of them has on a Clash shirt. And I absolutely love that they're at a country show. You know what I'm saying? Because it's all about all kinds of music up here in Sugar Lane. Yay! So with that in mind, we thought that we might do this song. Some of you might remember it in the, in the 90s fashion. But we do it a little bit different, a little countryfied, if you will. Just a little, just a little flavor, just a little.
So you're telling me you didn't popularize that song because to me that's just a Sugarland song now. <laughs> no, but I, I'm definitely convinced my '90s are showing. <laughs> yeah, maybe a little. <laughs> maybe a little. Yeah, I, I I love the the idea of of what happens when you cover a song and you try to ingest it. But right. I, but I love it even more when you're you're using it as an offering. As an offering. Yeah, to your audience. Your audience, like, you respect your audience. You, 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 um, do you never talk down to your audience from the stage. That's not your job. But they're the ones who lifted you up. Right. They put you there. <laughs> they put you there. So, uh, honor the relationship and reflect back different things. And, um, I know Sugarland was a little bit ahead on that than, uh, than the time in which we got to exist, uh, in those stadiums but i i I still to this day believe that we um we treated every moment with deep respect you know like that i don't know anybody that does the pearl jim curve now i just Mm -hmm. don't right you know i think they just pick low-hanging fruit well sure um and i don't I, i and and not that i think everybody should do something like like that but i do enjoy kind of the the offering that you get of like oh man this is also you yeah and you remember at the time you listened to one thing you didn't listen to another it's true and 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 that's not i don't think that has to happen and see now people are like also different colors genders they're like everything they're yeah absolutely and it's like it's it's a it's an incredible future that we wanted <laughs> and it and it and it happened and it's here i mean it, it, it i'm sure it has lots of bumps in the road and it's going to for a while but that doesn't mean it's not right sure it just means it's bumpy um but yeah all right 90s <laughs> we're gonna do 80s next week oh i don't know if you want to hear my records from the 80s what were okay you know oh well no yeah, I think you have to share one before we go. What was your favorite 80s record? My favorite? You want to hear a clip from my favorite 80s record? Sure. Okay. You can on. play us out with your clip from your... All right, Cindy Watts. We will play out uh, with a little snippet of my favorite 80s record. I can't wait. Uh, and this, And I will tell you this. This is one of... The, my brother and I both cite this as probably one of the most influential records of uh, on us ever. And they only made one record. The, okay. This band. Um, and, uh, I definitely follow this dude on Twitter now. Uh, and I, I, there's a chance, a very small one that I might be able to meet him one day or make something with him. But, uh, uh, are we going to call him? No, even better. Um, when I walked in to sign the record deal for Sugarland, I was talking to this man named Luke Lewis Mm -hmm. and Luke was a, a very, uh, Wonderful, interesting, curmudgeon-y, brilliant, insightful, and very protective label head. Mm-hmm. And he mentioned something, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, if I could do anything, I'd I'd want to make, or, you know, if I could remake any, because we were talking about what we thought country music was going to. And he said, I think it's going to where John Mellencamp was with the... Um, you know, R O C K in the USA, that whole record. Mm-hmm. 
And I said, well, I, I wish it was going to where David and David was. And he looked at me like, are you the only other person on earth that knows who David and David is? And I was like, holy crap, you love this album. He's like, I love this album. We're signing your band. That's amazing. And here's a song from it. Okay. Young ones like you Though I know I don't look it Jumped high as a sky Fired my eyes Had legs like a stallion And I had a girl And I loved her home My best friend was a brother We were on top of the mountain That summer we thought we'd never be Pretty awesome, right? Pretty awesome. All right. The band's called David and David. The album's called Boomtown. It's the only one. Uh, David Bearwald is who I've been, you know, like, fan-dogging for a while. <laughs> Thanks again for uh, being here while everyone looked at my 90s. Now it's time to <laughs> put my regular clothes back on. All righty then. <laughs> Till next week. Right, bye. <laughs> bye. Hey everybody, Christian Bush here. Cindy Watts. And we would like to thank you for joining us for another episode of 52. If you'd like to write us with questions or comments, you can contact us at 52thepodcast at gmail.com. That is the number 52. Or by leaving us a voicemail at 803-900-5252. Also, remember, the best way to help us is to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Please and thank you. You can follow me at Christian Bush on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and you can follow Cindy at Cindy Watts on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as well. Thank you for listening, and please join us next week.